to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. Thank you very much. What a, a great privilege to be uh, welcomed by Ryan. Um, I've known, as he said, known him for a long, long time. It's one of the signs of uh, growing old is that uh, all these young men say, I remember him when I was five. <laughs> I had a little girl come up to me just the other day in church and she came, looked up into my face. She was just a tiny little girl. And she said, I know you. And I said, how do you know me? And she said, you married my mum and dad. I've seen you on the video. <laughs> so that, that aged me a little bit as well. But uh, it's really lovely to be here, lovely to be able to share with you uh, around this parable of the Good Samaritan. But I want to say right at the beginning of this, this uh, talk that in this passage that we just had read to us, the most important thing in that passage is not the story of the Good Samaritan. The most important thing in that passage is a question that the man asked Jesus and the answer that he gave. That's the most important. The parable becomes important simply because of the second question which uh, the, the, um, the teacher of the law asked Jesus. So what was the first question? The first question was, what should I do to inherit eternal life? That was the first question. Now, remember, Luke says he didn't ask the question because he really wanted to know Jesus' answer. He asked the question because he knew his answer and he wanted to trap Jesus into saying something that they could accuse him of later on when they took him before the Sanhedrin. So it was, if you like, a trap. He set a trap. But Jesus, in all the wisdom that you find in the Godhead, says, well, what does your law say? You're a teacher of the law. What does it say? What's the greatest commandment? Well, he was... He was trapped now. He, I, I could imagine he was backpedaling as fast as he could. And he said, he said well, it says you'll, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your, your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, well done. Well said. Do that and you shall live. <laughs> well, that wasn't quite where the, uh, the uh, teacher of the law wanted to go, and so uh, he decided he would uh, respond to that by asking the question, well, who then is my neighbour? Now, they'd been watching Jesus. The religious leaders were the enemies of Christ. Isn't that interesting? When Jesus comes into the world, it's not the, the godless who are against him, it's the religious people who are against him. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. And, and they'd been watching him, and they knew who Jesus' neighbours were. <laughs> they had often accused him of mixing with tax gatherers and prostitutes and publicans. 
the very lowest in the, in the social barrel, so to speak. And, and he, was, he was eating with them. He was drinking with them. He was interacting with them. They were among his friends. One of his disciples was indeed a tax gatherer as well. And, uh, and he was a, a follower. He was a trusted friend. So they knew who Jesus' neighbours were. <laughs> they knew how he would answer that question. And so he was a good opportunity to trap him into saying, well, my neighbours are these sort of people. But Jesus then tells the story. And he tells a very cleverly crafted story. He has a man, obviously a Jewish man, traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, a road that he knew well, Jesus knew well, and the people he was talking to knew well. And he was traveling on this road, Jesus said, and he was attacked by robbers, uh, probably a fairly common thing to happen. He was wounded, he was left on the side of the road for dead. And says Jesus, after a while, just as it happened, a priest comes along, walking down the, the centre of the road, looks across, sees what could have been a, a body or could have been a wounded person. He crosses to the opposite side of the road and he goes past. He goes past. You can imagine the Pharisees listening to this story. And they know exactly what Jesus is saying. They know exactly that what he is saying is that the compassion that qualifies you for being somebody's neighbor doesn't come from religion. I want, want you to wrap your head around that. You can be as religious as you like. You can pray several times a day. You can tithe even the garlic you grow in your garden. That's what the Pharisees did. But, but that won't make you a compassionate person. Compassion comes from something else something else altogether. So Jesus says he passes by. He goes on with his, his religious thinking, his religious isolation, his legalism, and he leaves the man laying on the road. And then another man comes, just by chance, an assistant from the temple, another religious man, comes by. He's a little bit more pragmatic he probably wants to see whether this guy is dead or alive. He crosses the road, looks at the man, crosses the road again to the opposite side and goes by. He too has no compassion. And then, said Jesus, a third person comes and to the horror of his listeners, he makes the third person a Samaritan. 
a despised Samaritan. They remember that Jesus had preached in a Samaritan village. They remembered that, that many of the Samaritans said, this is the Christ, the son of the living God. These despised people, these people that you have absolutely nothing to do with. You know, often Jewish men would, would thank God that they were born the way they were. They are born a Jewish man and they weren't born a woman or a Samaritan. <laughs> but it was a Samaritan who came. And he comes down the road and he stops and he crosses to where the man is. And he not only looks at him, he not only sees that he's alive, he kneels down. He takes, he takes, he takes some wine and some olive oil and he, he pours it into his wounds and he soothes the man's wounds. I want you to see here there are three levels of compassion in this man. Three levels of compassion. The first level of compassion is that, that he stops and identifies with the woundedness and the pain of this person. This Pharisee knew what it was to be rejected. He knew what it was to be wounded by the words of others and by the attitudes of others. And he identifies with this man who's been left for dead on the side of the road, a man who has been evaluated as being worthless by religious people. He identifies with that. He knows that. And the second level of compassion is that he meets the immediate needs of this man. He immediately tends to his wounds, cleans them with wine, pours oil in the, into them to help heal them. He's concerned about what this man needs right at this moment of time, not what he's going to need in a couple of days' time. That's, that's another level. But what he needs now, he needs attention and he needs to be moved from where he is in this robber-infested place and taken somewhere else. So he lifts him, places him on his donkey and takes him to an inn. And, and he looks after him there. We're not told how long he looks after him there, but he looks after him there. And then when he has to leave, he gives the innkeeper two silver coins and he says, this is to pay for the care that I want you to give him while I'm away. And if it costs any more than that, I'll pay you when I come back. So the third level of compassion was to look after this man's future needs. What is he going to need in the future? You know, that's a great model for caring for the wounded in our communities, isn't it? Yeah. First of all, we have to see what the immediate need is and make a response. Make a response to that. And secondly, having made that response, 
we need to see what they need in the future as well. I want to challenge those of you who love the Lord today. I want to challenge you about the wounded that you pass by on your journey of life. We see them. We see those whose lives have been broken by the betrayal of others, wounded by abuse, left for dead on the roadway of life. We see those who made decisions, choices to become dependent on drugs and alcohol. And we've seen the damage and the ruin that it has brought into their lives. We see them on the roadway of life. We see the people who've become sometimes through no fault of their own homeless or people who are refugees from countries where it's too dangerous for them to continue to live. And we see them on the roadway. Sometimes we don't go to them. Sometimes we don't cross the road to them because of all sorts of reasons. Perhaps one of the reasons could be religious reasons. They don't belong to the same faith as ours. They believe other things. They reject the God that we love. And so sometimes it's easy to put them out of your mind and say, they're not my responsibility. They belong to another religion. Let them look after them. Or perhaps it's not that. Perhaps it's a fear of getting involved. Perhaps it's a fear of not knowing what to do. Perhaps it's just busyness. I am sure that the, the, the priest was going to Jericho for a reason. He had something else on his mind. Isn't that often the reason we're not as available? We're not as moved with compassion as we should be when we see a wounded person. Do you know why? Do you know why it's important to be moved with compassion for a wounded person? Do you know why? Because when we do that, the moment that happens, we are showing the world the heart of God. Amen. That's the point. That's the point. When this man, this, this teacher of the law, told Jesus that the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength, he thought he understood what that meant. He saw that as a private matter. He saw that as something you just did. Religiously, you did it. You just accepted that God was the creator of the universe and God loves us, whatever that actually meant. And that, that you, you, you tried to love God back by keeping the rules and keeping the laws and keeping all the religious ceremonies and rituals. That's what he understood. But, but what Jesus is telling him in this parable is that the love of God is so 
transformational, so enormous, so beyond comprehension that it transforms who we are. So loving God with all our heart and our soul and our strength and our mind is to be impacted intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, every way by the power of this love. And then the way we live makes that love known to the people around us. That's God's plan. That's why Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Love that wounded man on the roadway of life because in the same way as I love you. That's, that's it. That's it. That's it. You know, that, that's an amazing commandment. That was a commandment that would have gone right over the head of the teacher of the law. He would not have understood that, but it should not go over our head at all. This should be something that we can understand. What Jesus is saying is, I loved you when you rejected me. I loved you when you were sinning against me and against others. I loved you in the midst of your guilt and your, your fears and your anxieties and your shame. I loved you so much that I was prepared to pay the price so that you could become the child of God. That's how much I loved you. Now I want you to love that broken person on the roadway of life the same way as I loved you. Wow. 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 Because you see, it's only when we do that, said Jesus, that we become the neighbor to the wounded person. Only then. Now, when we think about neighbors, we think about the guy who lives next door and throws his rubbish over the fence into our backyard. But when, but that is not what Jesus means when he talks about neighbors. What he's talking about neighbors is he's talking about the person that God puts in your life that needs his love, his healing, and eternal life. It might be the guy that lives next door and throws his rubbish over the fence into your backyard, the guy you wish would move, <laughs> But that guy is the guy God put there in order for you to love him as God, as Christ has loved you. Isn't that amazing stuff? Isn't that what gives real meaning and purpose to life? That's, that's why I get up in the morning because God has left me here for one more day so that I might reflect something of his love that I've experienced into the life of somebody else. Now, I, I know when I tell you this story that at least one person 
my wife will say, Graham, you are always telling that story. <laughs> but it's, it's the best illustration I have of what I'm talking about here. Just, just imagine, just think about for a moment, nighttime and in the sky, the moon is a full moon and it is shining light to where you're standing. Just imagine that. You've seen that, haven't you? But you know, don't you, that the moon has no capacity to generate light. What it's doing is it's in the right place at the right time to receive the light rays from the sun and then to reflect it into the darkness in which you stand. And as Christians, as people who are loved by God and who love him with our heart and our soul and our strength and our mind, we happen to be like the moon in the right place at the right time to receive the love of God and to reflect it into the world in which we've been placed, to reflect it to the wounded people on our road of life. That's the challenge. That's the individual challenge, but it's also a challenge to the church. Much of what we do as churches has little relevance to a world that does not understand, does not understand why we're so excited about Jesus, doesn't understand the depth of his love, doesn't understand our language or the way we do things. There is only one way they will hear God say, I love you. I love you with an everlasting love. And that's when we as the church, as this church does, reflect the love of Christ into the community. It's when we feed the hungry. It's when we house the homeless. It's when we take time to spend with the wounded, broken person, the abused, the rejected, the refugee, that's when, that may be the only time that they will hear God saying, I love you. I love to tell a little story about when I was in New Guinea many years ago and Julia and I worked with the leprosy mission. And I remember being at this clinical outpost and these leprosy patients had walked in, some of them two or three days journey to get to this clinic. And leprosy takes away the feeling in your extremities, your hands and your feet. So this man had no feeling in his feet. And over a period of time, he'd worn out his feet the same way as you would wear a pair, pair of shoes out. He had these big, smelly ulcers on his feet. You could smell them before you got anywhere near the place he was. And as I came to where he was, he was sitting on a little stool and, and there was a nurse, 
an Australian nurse sitting in front of him and she had his foot in her, her hands and she was tending to it. She was actually uh, prying stones out of the ulcers because they'd been driven up into his foot. And as it happened, as she was doing it, she was humming a hymn, an old Christian hymn. Do you know what it was? My Jesus, I love you. I know you are mine. For you all the pleasures of sin I resign. And through the tears that came to my eyes, I looked at this man. And I have never seen such an expression on a, on a person before. It wasn't an expression so much of joy. It was an expression of wonderment. Why? Why was this lady, why was this traveller on the road of life crossing the road and dealing with his ulcers, his stinking ulcers? The reason why was because this was the way God says, I love you. God bless you.